0: But today is the day where we remember the, Anzac who landed on, the Anzacs who landed on the shores of Gallipoli. Now, uh, as you, many of you know the story. As soon as they landed on the shores, it was a near impossible battle. The terrain that they landed on, it was a, it was a natural amphitheatre with the Turks on the high ground, and they're in a good number. And despite the impossibility the task seemed, thousands of Anzacs stormed ahead, many at great cost to their nation, to their families, and ultimately many to their lives. But in the midst of this tragedy, we see a picture of greatness. In fact, in fact this is part of what they call the Anzac spirit, is something deep inside of the Australian and New Zealand nations that, that, that stirs within them this, this concept of greatness. Now, greatness in the Anzac case, it wasn't great because they had a victory. In fact. If you look at the, the, the war, um, pure war mechanics, they lost. Ten months later, they would, it would end in a retreat, or the military would call it a tactical withdrawal. And so it wasn't great. Anzac Day wasn't great because it was a victory. It was a loss. But as every Australian knows that, that there is something great about the day, a moment of national greatness, Because we see men and women serving at no cost to themselves, at a cost to themselves. They didn't hide. They didn't leave the job for someone else to do. They didn't stay at a safe distance. They served others and they gave their lives for us. And we're proud of that. And we honour them. And we should honour them. It was a day of national greatness because men and women gave their lives for others. You know, as I said before, something stirs in your heart. If you, who was up, Dave Madison, what time were you up this morning? Three o'clock. Anyone else up early this morning at a dawn service? Well done. Can I get someone to turn the air the heating off, please? Anyone else agree with that? <laughs> if you'd like to keep warm, the warm seats across there. Something deep inside of each one of us longs to live lives of greatness. Something inside of each one of us longs to live a life of significance and impact. We all want our lives to count, don't we? We don't want to get to the end of our life and, and to be forgotten, to be, to be just passing time with no one remembering us. We all want to be remembered for living lives beyond ourselves. And as we look at 2020 and all, everything that COVID brought... We can learn so many things because so many of the ways that the world measures greatness was cancelled. Sporting events were cancelled. The Olympics were cancelled. Movie, movies were cancelled. The celebrities had a very different year. Graduations were different, weren't they, Lauren? And Hannah. <laughs> Hannah's. <laughs> Hannah squared. <laughs> Achievements. Well, how the world measures uh, accomplishment, how the world measures success... Many of those events were cancelled. It shows us that the world's measurements of greatness can be so fragile, can be so fickle, can be so temporary. So the question I want to talk about today is how then do we live a life of greatness? How do you and I live a life of greatness? And I think that's a great question to ask. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about this in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for today and we've already acknowledged our our Anzacs and and those who have fought and are fighting for our country. And this morning, Lord, I pray as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to speak. That you'll take my human words and uh, you will, through your spirit, bring uh, revelation and bring bring inspiration and bring transformation. And I, I ask this in Jesus' name. Okay, so Mark chapter 10 verse 32. Now, they, who were the disciples and Jesus, were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. So I want you to note a couple of things. Jesus and his disciples were on a journey to where? Jerusalem okay so they're heading toward Jerusalem now prior to this Jesus had been feeding the crowds casting out demons healing the sick standing against injustice and corruption and and all the stuff that was happening in the uh, in, in the religious and political scenes and he was preaching a message of good news so this is the background of Jesus but now Jesus is starting to turn his attention and his focus toward Jerusalem Because the time was coming and Jesus was explaining it to his disciples, that Jesus was here for three years, but he didn't come for what they thought he came for. (coughs) And so he starts in verse 33. Listen, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed, and the leading priests and teachers of the religion... Sorry, thank you. My family wonders how I actually have a job talking, because I'm a shocker at home. And he too laughed. No one else believes that, that's why. Let's start this verse again. Listen, he said, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. That's That's our Easter story just a few weeks back. Now, this was not the first time that Jesus had talked about this stuff with his disciples. In fact, um, if you recall, just prior to Easter, I I shared a message how Peter handled a situation where Jesus was telling him the same thing. And in Mark chapter 8, two chapters earlier, um, it says, As he, Jesus, talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, reprimanded Peter, Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things from a merely human point of view, not from God's. So Peter, like us, was processing things from a merely human point of view. And we can, we can forget that we know God has a will. But sometimes we need to remember he has a way of accomplishing that. Sometimes we want God's will, but we want it on our way, on, on our own terms. Whether that's healing, whether that's blessing, whether that's favour, yes, we know that's God's promises and God's will for our life. But we want it to happen exactly the way that we expect it to happen. We need to remind ourselves that God has a will, and His will is wonderful and great and good and beautiful, and for each one and each and every one of us. But His way is something we need to learn to uh, to trust. And so we know as you read the gospel accounts that, it, that Jesus tried to de- tell His disciple. That he was dying or getting crucified a number of times. But they just didn't seem to get it. Jesus told them, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to get killed in Jerusalem. Either they didn't get it or they didn't accept it. And so let's go back to our story. Um, Here we discover, in verse 46, which you're not going to read, but it tells us this conversation was happening. Remember, they're travelling to Jerusalem, that's right? Verse 46 tells us as they get to Jericho. So the leg of the journey they're on at the moment is from uh, Judea, heading toward Jerusalem, and they're coming up to Jericho. Now, if, you, if you've been in church for a while, and you've ever looked at the Old Testament stories, you'll notice something significant about Jericho. Uh, when the nation of Israel came up, and when Moses delivered them out of, the prom- out of Egypt, took them through the wilderness for 40 years, they entered into the promised land, what was the first city that they destroyed? <coughs> Jericho. It was their first military victory as a nation. And so here we are, the disciples are heading toward Jerusalem and in their mind, Jerusalem is where Jesus is going to be crowned king. Jerusalem is the place where, where Jesus, after three years, they're going to make him king. He's going to lead a, a revolution against the Romans and the Jewish uh, lead, the uh, religious leadership. That was Jerusalem. And, then, and Jericho is exciting because it symbolises military victory. And so for the disciples, they're walking along with Jesus and their minds are thinking, we're on the road of greatness. We're on the road to victory. We're standing with Jesus. We're going to the place where he's going to be made king. We're coming up to Jericho, which reminds us of God's power and military strength against the opposition. And then verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want to ask you to do us a favour. What is your request, he asked. They replied, well, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honour next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Now, many of you know Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve disciples. Three of his disciples were in his inner circle. They were Peter, James and John. And so, interestingly, these three disciples, uh, the Gospel of Mark recalls that each three of them, Peter, we, we learned two chapters ago, He didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying, and he was looking at things from a merely human point of view. I reckon James and John were doing a similar thing. And we discovered Jesus' three closest disciples didn't always understand God's ways. Anyone here this morning, don't, sometimes you go, I don't understand God why that happened or why you did it that way. If that's you, you're in close company with Peter, James, and John. We know God's will, we know God's plans. But sometimes we, we can't process the way that that is coming about. And so these uh, two disciples had great expectations for Jesus. And these two disciples had great expectations for themselves. They wanted to be at his left and his right. They wanted to be significant in the new government that Jesus would form. They wanted, their, they wanted to make their lives count. They wanted to make a difference. And all of us, all of us really want that, don't we? We all want our lives to count. We all want our, our, our gifts, our abilities, our contributions to be remembered. And that's what one of the things Anzac Day is about, when we remember what was accomplished and the lives that count and matter. You know, there's nothing wrong with having great expectations for your life. There's nothing wrong with having great plans. There's nothing wrong with having a great vision or great goals for your life. Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples for, having, for wanting to sit at his left and his right. He doesn't rebuke his disciples for aspiring towards greatness. But what he does do, he challenges them. And he challenges us on the road we take to become great. As I said there before, they were on the road to Jerusalem. The disciples were thinking, this is the road to success. It'll finally happen. Jesus is going to be crowned king in Jerusalem. That's why they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be part of a revolution that changes the world. They wanted to walk a road that would ultimately see them exalted. Now, Jesus was about to show them something, that the road to greatness the road to greatness, will cost you something. In verse 38, Jesus said to them, "'You don't know what you're asking. "'Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering "'I'm about to drink?' Are you able to be baptised with the baptism of suffering I must be baptised with? Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. I'm not too sure they fully got it. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptised with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say he will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. I don't think the disciples actually understood what was happening. They looked at things like Peter did from a human point of view. But certainly in the years ahead, both James and John would share the sufferings. They would understand. They would drink from the cup of suffering that Jesus did. About 10 years later, James was executed for his faith. Church historians would say that the Emperor Domitian tried to kill John by boiling him in a vat of burning oil. That he escaped miraculously. And he was, in the end, exiled to the island of Patmos until he died. Both these men, whilst on the road to Jerusalem, they might have been thinking of things from a merely human point of view, thinking things from a a natural point of view. But by the end of their lives, (coughs) they understood, and Jesus talked about it, that the road to greatness doesn't always come easily. The road to greatness comes at a cost. Verse 41, when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were ticked off. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over them. See, the problem with the disciples' desire for great, remember Jesus said there's nothing wrong with desiring to be great. There's nothing wrong with desiring to have a significant business or ministry or family or studies or influence or achievements and change the world. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a world's way of doing that and there's God's way of doing it. And uh, Jesus now goes to contrast how this pathway of greatness works in our world and how it works in his kingdom. Jesus says, in our world, people use others, other people as stepping stones. They see other people as the means of achieving greatness. In our world, people think that that it's very easy for us to fall into this trap. That the greatest objective of my life is success. My achievements is getting what I want, regardless of the cost to you. (coughs) We see this, and I've talked about this before, this culture of self. This culture of elevating me... At the expense of you. The culture of trying to make my name great, regardless of what happens to you. The culture of becoming all that I can be and not giving a concern for you. Now, we saw something like this in the panic, in the panic buying during the height of our pandemic. Do you remember that? That was about a year ago. Do you remember the, the fights for toilet paper? How crazy is that? But we see, and you've seen the videos and the people, the the footage of the the people with their trolleys and their fighting. Now, that wasn't any of us, was it? No. But we can see the human desire to, I want what I want. I want what I need. And I really don't care what you need because I'm going to, it doesn't matter. I just want what I want. I don't care that you miss out. I don't care that you have no toilet paper. I don't care that you have no sanitizer. I don't care that you've got no flour or whatever it is. We saw people's base instincts for them to want to preserve themselves at no cost, regardless of the cost for other people. And sadly, we see this self-focused obsession in our news every day. People who take the wrong road to be great. People who seek to elevate themselves at the expense of others. People exploiting and abusing people for personal gain or profit. People trying to be noticed, trying to be successful as I said, often a great expense to those who are important to them. History can easily identify. We, immediately we can think of Hitler. We can think of the dictators, Pol Pot. We are um, Idi Amin, Osama Bin Laden. We can think of all the people that, <coughs> that abused uh, nations and people and, and killed millions of people just so they could be great. And we don't need to look to such extremes. You can look at the business world. You can look at what what happens in the business world as as companies vie for for profit and vie for for success and achievement and to be number one. We can see business malpractice. We can see this happen in the sporting world. You know, I was thinking of the um, the ice skater that stabbed the other one in the back. Remember that? It was it Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding. Yep. Who got stabbed? Tennis, someone got t- tennis as well, got stabbed. Monica said, anyway, you know what we're saying. It's so easy in, the, in our desire to be great, or to be the best, or to be the most popular, or to be the most rich, or to be the most famous, or the most, or the most seen, in, our, in, in mankind's desire that sometimes they just totally abuse anyone who comes in their way. The the road to greatness in our world is do whatever it takes at whatever the cost, regardless if it's others as well. But the road to greatness in Jesus' kingdom is very different. In verse 43, Jesus says, But among you it will be different. So in the world we live in, uh, the, the, the people in authority lord it over their, their others. They abuse, they use people as stepping stones, they stab people in the back, they do all sorts of things. Jesus said, but among you, among his disciples, it must be different. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. The road to greatness, which nothing wrong with great in fact, Jesus wants us to be great. Jesus wants us to be successful and to be the best we can be. The road to greatness, but there's a choice. In our world is to do it one way. His way is different. The to great road to greatness is a road of sacrifice. It's also a road of service. In verse forty five in the message translation, it says it this way that is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. That is the central message of Christianity. And this is the the, the road and the pathway to true greatness. As I said, Jesus actually wants you to be the best and achieve all that you can be for his glory. But there's a a choice we need to make every day. Do we try to achieve that in our own efforts? Or do we, the the way of the world? Or do we understand the road to greatness? And Jesus showed it to us. comes through serving others. It comes through sacrifice. Today we celebrate the greatness of the Anzacs. And we should. They did not hide or run from the battle. They entered into the fray on the shores of Gallipoli. And 8,709 of them sacrificed their lives to serve us and ultimately to make a way for us to live in the freedoms that we have in this country. We are grateful for them. And we do thank God for them. But today we look beyond them. We look to Jesus, who did not hide away from the war that was crippling humanity. Jesus didn't avoid the, the war that was happening on this planet our captivity to sin and death. He could have, Jesus could have sat in heaven with the Father and looked at the mess of this world we were making, look at the, 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 the battles and the wars and the sinfulness and the anger and the chaos. Jesus could have looked at that and said, you know what, I don't give a rip. We could just create a whole new planet and start again. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't avoid the battle. He didn't, enjoy, didn't avoid the mess. Rather, Jesus entered into our battle. And upon the cross, he gave his life in exchange for the freedom of mankind. Not just one day in 1916. Jesus' one act lasts all of eternity for all time. <laughs> and so this morning, we're going, to, we're going to get ready to do communion in a minute. And um, I, might, I might actually get the emblems start to be handed out. We've got those little pre-packaged ones, so you might take a while to figure out how to unwrap them. <coughs> There's a trick. Ali, what's the trick? You'll work it out. So as they're being handed out, just hold it for a little bit. We're going to partake together at the end. Okay. As uh, the communion elements are being handed out, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? Who remembers that movie? Who's never seen it? Is it on TV tonight? Okay. All right. Well, um, (coughs) for those who haven't seen it, which look like just my two kids, the movie was set in World War II. It's the story of seven men who go on a mission to save someone, to rescue someone. Anyone guess what his name was? Private Ryan. Okay, we're on it. (coughs) When they finally finally find Private Ryan, he is wondering why on earth they've come. Why these seven men have been sent from the, the US government. Why these seven soldiers have been sent to find him. And by the time they actually find him, Uh, Two of them have already died and uh, Private Ryan is just totally astounded because he's thinking, I didn't do anything to deserve this. He doesn't understand why he's being rescued. He doesn't understand why these, these seven men have put their lives on the line and two of them have already died to save him. For him, it's just unbelievable that why would you come and save me, I'll go, no, and there is a backstory. I won't tell you the backstory, but I'll do a spoiler alert for you. Number one, he gets saved. I mean, if, you, if you're upset by that, it's called what? Saving Private Riots. So if you can't figure that one out, bad luck. Now, a little bit later, <clears throat> in this, after he's been rescued, Captain Miller, who is, um, um, the actor is Tom Hanks, who portrays this character. He's the captain of the troops, and he's lying and dying on, the bridge, on a bridge after saving him. And, um, and again, if you, haven't, if you think that's... If I've just spoiled it for you, well, if you haven't seen it in the last 23 years, chances are it's not really that important to you. Um, anyway, Captain Miller is... His, he, he calls his, his dying... You know, the typical I'm dying scene and you always call a person close to you and you utter your last words in the ear of the person, the the most significant words, your final voice, the final words you'd ever speak in life, your dying breath, he calls uh, uh, Private Ryan to him and he calls him close. Does anyone remember what he said? Andrew? He said, earn this. Did you get it right, Pete? High five. He says, earn this. Two people have already given their lives to to find him and to save him. And Captain Miller is now, his last breath is earned this. He's not saying, he's not saying, I want you to be a person that's worthy of us coming to rescue you. Because he's already been rescued. At this point, he's already been rescued. He's already been saved. There's nothing, he did nothing that deserved him being saved. And that's the whole point of the movie. But rather what, what, what Captain Miller was saying, he was saying, earn this. He was saying, you know, these men have done something great for you. These men have sacrificed their lives for you. He's saying, don't waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't, don't live a trivial, meaningless life, but live a life of greatness. Let's watch this clip. That's a powerful scene. The question he asks is really significant. He asks his wife, have I been a good man? He doesn't ask, "Did did I build a big business? Did I get enough promotions? Have I gained enough degrees? He asks, have I been a good man? Have I lived... A great life. In, in, in my goodness to other people, have I, have I served others? Have I sacrificed my life as, your, as the lives that were sacrificed for me? Now, the problem with this scene is the questions that James asks is, who really is qualified to answer that question? Who really is his wife may not be the most qualified person to answer that. Surely the most qualified person to answer that question is Captain Miller and the ones who who laid down his life and said, don't waste it for me. Yet they're dead and they cannot answer that question. The wonderful news for us today is that Jesus is still alive and he is the only one that can truly answer this question for us. And my my prayer for my life, my prayer for my kids and my family, my prayer for our church and you, is that that one day when you stand before Jesus and, and the question of goodness sort of becomes a secondary question. But my prayer is that he would say to each and every one of us, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. My prayer is for each one of us that he would say, you have lived a life of greatness, but not the way the world measures greatness but the way he measures greatness. (coughs) That he would say, in in, in the kingdom of this world, you may not have been acknowledged. Great. But in my kingdom, you have done well. You've chosen the road less travelled. You've chosen to live a life of sacrifice. A life of putting others before yourself. A life of serving them. And that's what I want Jesus to say to me. That he'd say, Mark, well done. You've lived a life. That is about others. It's not about earning his approval. It's not about earning his salvation because I already have that. And as Christians, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you already have earned his approval. You've already earned his salvation. Well, he earned it on your behalf. So you already have those things. But it's about making the most of the life that we have. Regardless of your age, whether you're in little wonders or whether you're You're the little wonder section, are you? <clears throat> whether you're down with the little kids or whether you've been walking this planet for decades, one day we'll stand before Jesus. The question is, what are we doing with our lives? It's not about achieving something for the sake of achieving it. It's not even, it's not even about um, changing the world. Jesus wants us to be great, but the most important thought, he wants us to do it with him by our side. He wants us to live the rest of our life, whether that's 50 years or or five years. He wants us to live the rest of our lives with him by our side in constant communication and relationship and friendship. And, and as we do that, as we learn to abide with him and be with him and experience him and talk with him and walk with him, as we walk that journey of, uh, and, and discover to make choices that are, are that are not self-serving, lives that are for others. Friends, that's what greatness is. The rest of the stuff is really secondary. Jesus wants us to do life with him. That's what greatness is. Acknowledging everything he's done. We're already accepted. We're already approved. He's already earned our goodness, his goodness in me. My challenge for each of us, as you, as you hold your communion element, as you hold that, I want the challenge that Captain Miller gave to James. I want you to earn this. Not in a way you've got to work to be approved. But will you live a life to honour the one who gave it all for you? Will you live your life appropriately with him by your side? Living and walking with him. Not to earn it, but to live a life worthy of that. And this is not meant to be, I don't want anyone to walk out of here feeling down or depressed. I don't want anyone to walk out of here thinking, I've got to do this in my own strength. It's not about that at all. It's about just living the life that he gives us with him by our side. Making choices daily to to, to serve and to sacrifice. Because that's the path to greatness. And that's how you earn it with him. Why don't we all stand together? I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, when you're ready, I want you to partake in your communion. Partake in the symbol of what Jesus gave you. Remember that as you partake of it, he's saying to you, I want you to live a life worthy of this. With me by your side. No matter what comes, we'll sort it out. No matter what a mess we've made, that's all over. That's all finished. That's all gone that with me by my side, that you can live a great life of greatness. You can live a life of significance. You can live a life of meaning and value and purpose. Jesus, I just thank you for your sacrifice today. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would align our heart and our lives to live a life worthy of the life you've called us to live. I just thank you that we don't need to strive for your acceptance. We don't need to strive for your approval. We don't need to strive for your salvation. We don't need to strive or fight for any of that because that came freely to us through the cross. I thank you that we can just receive that as a gift to us. But Lord, I I acknowledge that there's a responsibility that comes with this call, a responsibility that comes with such a greater salvation. Lord, and that responsibility is just to live it with you by our side and to live a life of greatness for you and with you. So this morning we stand, we thank you for your sacrifice, and we surrender ourselves to you this morning.